1: This is the High Stakes Lowdown, a Rotoviz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. I'm Eric Balthman from the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour and the FFPC. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Balthman and the FFPC on Twitter at FFPC. This week I'm speaking with Rob Vieira, an FFPC main event and Football Guys Players Championship former league champion many times over, and a high-stakes player who has placed numerous teams in the championship round in both events again this year. His total career winnings number well over $200,000, and you can follow him on Twitter at RobD16. In this episode, we break down Alvin Kamara's struggles with Taysom Hill at quarterback, where to mind fantasy production on the Eagles, and who to target starting in your fantasy lineups among the Dolphins running backs. Before we do get into the show, I want to remind everyone that you can get a listeners only 30% discount to a RotoViz NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of the RotoViz content and tools, and it supports the podcast channel. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. 2020 has already reshaped how we work and it's almost over businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient which means every hire is critical indeed is here to help indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site according to comscore indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going unlike other sites of online job seekers in the U.S. visiting Indeed each month. According to Comscore, total visits. So, it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Now, without further ado, here is $200,000 high-stakes fantasy football winner, Rob Vieira. Coming up on week 13 here in the FFPC, it is league championship week, as it were, and I'm With a, God, I don't even know how many times over league champion, uh, in the football guys players championship, the FFPC main event, the 250 best ball godfather, essentially. It's Rob Vieira. Rob, welcome back to the show. Hey, Bulky, how are you? Doing good. Excellent. Was the Thanksgiving good? It was awesome. Always good. 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 Yeah. I, 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 the only thing that would have been better would have been three primetime games on, uh, or actually not three, that would have been awful. Three games on Thanksgiving would have been great, but we just found out today the NFL is giving us a triple header coming up in week 16 on Saturday. So that is going to be fun. Uh, A lot of football to get to before then. Um, Rob, uh, let's, let's talk about 2020 as a, as a broad scale type thing here. It's been a strange year for a lot of reasons. And not just with fantasy football, with life, with society, with culture, with elections, with everything. Um, When it comes down to fantasy football specifically, knowing COVID was going to play a role in this year's uh, competitions, have you did you change the way you drafted, number one? And number two, how have you changed the way you've managed teams based on the pandemic uh, affecting a lot of these players this season?
2: Yeah, this year has been nuts uh, in many ways. And it's likely going to get nuttier, just even in the last few hours here, it's gotten kind of crazy. Right, yes. I did. Uh, I did adapt a bit this year, um, as you know. I've been with FFPC since the beginning. I had a fairly consistent uh, methodology, um, and in drafts, I tend to take best player available, and I will not shy away from really leaning into a position. Uh, as an example, I think it was a couple of years ago, I took five tight ends in like the first eight or nine rounds in a main event, um, and I. I I have no problem with that. I like leaning in. You, you wind up weakening the position for, for the other guys, and then they usually panic and you can pick up some value at those positions of need later. Um, but this season, I was definitely more cognizant of roster construction with a lean towards a more balanced squad. Um, and same dynamic with managing teams. In any of my, my managed leagues, I rarely roster more than one quarterback And just so I can have a ton of handcuff upside handcuff types. Um, But this year I I definitely have built in some safety nets and have two or three quarterback teams and just to make sure in case games got moved or players relate scratches, I didn't, I didn't have to take any, any zeros.
1: You know, Rob, just curious, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about the one quarterback teams, let's, let's pretend it's a normal year or hopefully 2021 will be a normal year. And we could talk about how your draft strategy is going to change then. When you're drafting these teams with one quarterback, do you tend to take one of the first three or four off the board? Do you try to grab a top ten? Um, if you're only going to draft one, how does that normally uh, exhibit itself in your in your drafts?
2: I don't. I, I traditionally I've been a, I mean back before it was fashionable, I was always a late quarterback guy. Um, now this year I found myself targeting a quarterback in the managed leagues, usually in the eighth round. I was scooping up Deshaun Watson's and Russell Wilson's, and I guess Dak was usually sixth or seventh, but some of those guys. Um, but even if I waited and took a Cam Newton in the 12th or whatever, uh, I usually would wait, just take one quarterback, knowing that I can pick up Whatever, you know, that year's Ryan Fitzpatrick or somebody or Winston, I think, was last year. You know, there's usually some somebody on the waiver wire that's putting up comparable numbers that you can get for three bucks on the waiver wire versus, you know, a handcuff running back that winds up starting will go for, you know, your whole budget.
1: Um, let's shift to, uh, to the main event this year. And, and I know you got a bunch of teams in there. You own a little bit of, of, Alvin Kamara there, but you do own a lot of his backfield teammate, Taysom Hill. We have two weeks of a sample size now with Taysom Hill under center, basically for the majority of the snaps with, uh, Drew Brees out. And Alvin Kamara was not startable. He was, you know, arguably bad, you know, it, it, especially yeah. in week 11. Uh, week 12, he was a train wreck. Are we going to see more of these types of performances, um, for Kamara going forward? And, and if you are a Kamara owner, do you just put him in your starting lineup, forget about it and hope for the best? Or do you have to suss this out a little bit here?
2: Yeah. I, I will say I liked Kamara. It, it was more a matter of where I was drafting. I just didn't get as many shares of him as I would, would like. Um, so I liked him a lot and still do like him. Um, I got taste him just because he's a running quarterback that was cheap uh, to to be my second or in some case third quarterback uh, down the stretch here. Um, I do, you know, obviously Taysom does not target running backs like Breeze does, but I think this small two game sample isn't necessarily a great representative of the, of the future. Um, for Kamara, he didn't practice that first week that Taysom played and this past week was arguably an NFL game against Denver. So <laughs> I would kind of, you know, write anything that happened in that game off. I think the Saints are trying to protect and preserve Kamara for the for the stretch run in the playoffs. So I think there's multiple dynamics that drove this nosedive. And I think many of those dynamics are gonna turn in his favor, including him likely getting healthier, the Saints playing actual NFL games without you know, some college receiver slash quarterback playing. <laughs> I'd expect Breeze, you know, back sometime here in the next few weeks. So I will likely keep Kamara in the lineups that I, that I have him, unless it's one of those crazy depth teams where I have, you know, two running backs that I'm feel, feel really good about. Um, but for the championship rounds, uh, you know, as long as he's healthy, I will gladly play him and expect. Maybe you know if Taysom's still in there, I won't expect the the craziness when he was getting double digit targets, but still definitely an RB one, maybe RB two type type performances.
1: So, just I mean, not not looking forward necessarily to week fourteen on, but week thirteen, New Orleans visits Atlanta this coming week, and currently they are three point favorites in a game of uh, over under of, of forty six right now. You think yeah. Kamara's it, it has more of a quote unquote, for lack of a better word, normal game against Atlanta this coming week?
2: Yeah, again,
1: I think it's a, a tempered normal. It's
2: more of a tassum normal where it won't be nearly as bad as the the non game. Um, it'll probably be more similar to when they played Atlanta, whatever that was, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so I would definitely put him in there, knowing he's probably not going to put up the the Breeze to Camara twelve catch type performance. But I would be surprised if he didn't get you know fifteen plus points.
1: Um, let's talk about another first round running back this year in, in the Football Guys Players Championship, the FFPC main event, Miles Sanders. Um, he, he's been good. When he's been healthy, he missed a good chunk of the season. Came back, and and now you you you'd like to think that he is that um, startable, you know, top ten running back every single week. If that is the case, besides him, Rob, is there a good Eagles player to start now? Knowing that Alshon Jeffrey is back on the field, knowing Zach Ertz should be back sooner rather than later, they have Goddard, they have Jalen Rager. Um, there, there's, there's, you know, Boston Scott as, as a backup running back there as well. Um, what, when you're looking where Travis Folgum obviously had that big run in the middle of the season, when you're talking Eagles outside of Sanders, is there a guy that, that you feel good about or okay about going forward? Or is this just sort of battleship minefield here?
2: Yeah. So, so Fulgham, he's actually a local kid, went to high school right down the street here. So I would love to see him replicate the success he was having there for a little while. And I'm heavily invested in Rager, um, probably one of my – at least in the managed teams, one of the guys I have on more teams than than not. So I'd like to think they could be productive, but until their O-line gets back to something that resembles competence and Wentz gets some of that swagger back, I mean, he, he looks like – Oh, man, I can't even think. Like, you know, back when uh, Jim Everett, some of those guys that just started seeing ghosts even when they weren't weren't there. So it looks nothing like the Carson Wentz of a couple of years ago. Um, the good news is that, you know, being that they're in the NFC East, they're going to be in the playoff hunt almost no matter what. So as bad as things get, they'll at least be trying to get things on track. So, you know, if they can somehow patch together an offensive line that maybe starts playing more cohesive, um, you know, there's hope. But until I see evidence of that, I won't be start looking to start any of those guys. Other than, you know, maybe Goddard is the possible exception given the, the dearth of productive options at tight end. But otherwise, as much as I like Rager's talent and would like to pull for Fulgham and, um, you know, Ertz, I don't know what happened to him. He looks good. <laughs> um, I'd like to think those guys have have potential. I, I need to see it before I, before I confidently put them in the lineup.
1: Um, let's stick in the NFC East here and, and continue on this discussion. Um, Evan Ingram, anyone who started him this last weekend, myself included in a league, uh, loved what they saw. It was great. Um, and we got word went about well, full disclosure, Rob and I are recording this here on, on Monday evening. And what we just found out was Daniel Jones has a hamstring strain and I don't know how that is going forward, if he's going to be able to play in week 13. Uh, but let's, for the sake of argument, Rob, assume he is out this week and Colt McCoy takes over at quarterback. How does that affect Evan Ingram for people who are playing for their league championship in the FPC and the main event in the FFPC this weekend? How does that change for Evan Ingram owners, Sterling Shepard owners, Darius Slayton owners, uh, Wayne Gallman owners as well? Because all those guys I, I think were bandied about as starters in week 12. Does that change for week thirteen?
2: Yeah, so I think it definitely does. I mean, I'm usually hesitant. I I should be more hesitant than I am. I tend to fall prey to small sample sizes, and you know, part of a game is definitely qualifies as a very small sample size. Um, but Colt McCoy basically ignored Ingram. So I think it's a significant hit to his potential. Um, you know, like I mentioned with Goddard, there aren't a lot of productive tight ends out there. So you probably still got to roll them out there, but with diminished uh, expectations. Uh, McCoy did seem to like Shepard. So I think he might be a push. You know, he'll get more share in a less productive offense. Um, and similarly, I think for Gallman, it could be a push as well where he'll get more share. But as much as I, you know, have not been terribly impressed with uh, David Jones' uh, Colt McCoy does not do much for me I live as you know in a redskin country and have seen plenty of Colt McCoy through the years and uh he's probably a good guy and a good backup but uh not not much of a uh doesn't scare me much in terms of his offensive talent so I think you know as a whole the offense takes a hit some of these guys that will maybe you know Gallman might get more carries Shepard might get a larger share of the targets, but I don't think they're going to be as productive moving the ball. In terms of Slayton, I don't know that I own a single share of Slayton in my hundreds of teams. Um, so I'm glad I don't have to deal with that mess because I, I would not be bullish with that either.
1: It's when I talk to high stakes owners like yourselves and, and I, and or like yourself, Robin, and one of the things, the first things that that you say, when I talk about a certain player, well, I, I bet he's a pretty nice guy, but yeah. that's that's always a red flag for me. Like if his personality is the first thing we talk about, probably a guy you want to shy away from and anyone that has to do with uh with him on that offense for sure. Yeah. Kind of like
2: the, the um, girl the girls back in college. She's got a great personality. Yeah, she's
1: got a great personality.
2: <laughs> uh, okay. Might have All to right. cut that
1: out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, when um, when uh, when you're talking about Slayton, there is interesting because I, like you said, you know, you own all these best ball teams, all these main event teams, FBC teams, whatever. And Slayton was was on Neria, one of them. Why did you stay away from him in the draft process? What was it about Darius Slayton that turned you off from him this summer?
2: Yeah, it was more that I liked Shepherd, and you know, Slayton was going. I don't know, at least a couple of rounds ahead of him. I like Golden Tate. I'm a domer, so I've got some. Some bias towards Golden Tate and Will Fuller and Claypool and all those guys. Um, so I just liked those guys better and I knew that I could probably get at least one of those guys, if not two of them. And I wasn't terribly bullish on the Giants offense because like I said, I don't love Jones. I don't like Garrett. I didn't know what he was going to do with that offense. Um, so I literally, I don't, like I said, I don't think I have a single share of Slayton. There might have been one where he fell five round, rounds below ADP, and I scooped him up just to get one. But I'm, uh, it's not that I don't like him either personally or athletically. I usually like young, talented receivers. I just didn't love his situation, and I liked guys that were on the team even better. I, I happen to actually really like Ingram, so I was pulling for him and then you know satisfied getting one of those other receivers if I got anyone from that offense.
1: Um I'm with you on this. Uh, I ended up going with, you know, because like you said, Slayton and Shepard were were going very close in drafts. And I feel like um when I drafted the majority of my teams, the it seemed like the prevailing reports from beat writers coming out of New York was Sterling Shepard is, is looking like the number one. He is getting targeted like the number one over Slayton. And, and I don't think I have Slayton on any of my teams either. And it's just, it's so weird how that works out sometimes where you, you know, You have a, you know, you and I both have a breadth of teams. I probably don't have as much as you, but when, when you have that, that breadth of, you know, that, that wide expanse of teams, um, I, I don't mind going all in on one player in a certain part of the draft when it comes down to a, a decision of Giants receivers or whatever. But it's just bizarre that, that, that when it came down to Slayton versus Shepard for both of us, every single time we decided to go with Shepard over Slayton and, and, um, and, and, and went that direction, you know, and, and it's not just, you know, it happened with the Giants receivers this year, but I'm sure it's been true of different running back scenarios, uh, in yeah. tight end scenarios for you over the years too, where you don't mind, as you like to say, leaning into one player over the other one all in, um, yeah. to, to, to make sure you get the best guy there.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I felt like Slayton's, uh, ADP was one of the most egregious, um, especially in the, the best balls. And I think it was due to, some small sample sizes when the other guys weren't playing. I mean, when when Shepard was in there, he had a larger percentage of the target share. So you were basically betting that Shepard was definitely going to get hurt again um, and that the offense was going to run similarly. There were just a lot of things where I felt like they were significant ifs and there was no way I was willing to pay that price. It wasn't that I loved Shepard that much, but – For
1: that, for that price, I would, I would
2: happily take him
1: versus Slayton. Well, yeah, I mean, you were paying, I mean, for lack of a better term here, you're paying 75, 80 cents on the dollar on Shepard and you're paying 110, 115 cents on, on Slayton essentially. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Um, let's, um, let's, okay. So we're, we're leading into week 13. We're, we're still a, a week away from the championship round in, in the FFPC main event and in the football guys players championship. But if you look back over the years, um, and it doesn't happen every single year, but it, it's happened several times. Um, I think about two thousand and eight with uh D'Angelo Williams. There was an Arlen Harris um a year with uh when he came in uh when Steven Jackson and Marshall Faulk got hurt when he came in for the Rams and had a really nice championship round. Jamal Charles crushed everybody, you know, whatever it was six or seven years ago uh in that three week sprint. And then you had Tyler Higbee, you know, all the people I've had on the high stakes fantasy football hour in the road of his high stakes lowdown last year. After the season was over, seemingly the one common thing was they all had Tyler Higby going in the championship round. Um, I don't know if you started to look at this at all, Rob, or if any names have come to mind when you think about um, that big sprint at the end of the season. Is it too early to to name a few names of, of who could be the guy in the three-week sprint? Or or are you just, look, i, I got to manage my way through the semifinals and get to the championship, my league championship, get through that first. Um, are there any names that come to mind, though, for you right now?
2: Yeah, I don't think it's too early. In fact, I was, I was talking to my buddy just a couple of days ago about this exact question before I knew it was going to be posed. And I told him of all my team, cause this has been one of my probably worst years percentage wise in terms of teams making, uh, making a good run here, making the playoffs and making the, the championship round. Um, but a number of them have a guy on it that I think is going to be the player to own this year. And that's Austin Eckler and this is before before yesterday's game where he had 16 targets so that wasn't part yep. of my uh part of my equation but definitely didn't change change my opinion so you know I think if you made it this far uh, you know made the playoffs without him you, you probably have a pretty solid squad to begin with and adding a a high volume efficient player and a productive offense it you know, could be that just what you need to be to have a league winning team so I think he's the guy if I had to pick one. I wouldn't rule out, you know, a guy like Higby or even Everett, you know, somebody, some tight end that is an injury or two away from having a three week run of glory like, like Higby had. I guess maybe his was four or five weeks. Um, but that, you know, that's all it takes is if you're in a, a good offense and you're efficient, you can fall into that three week window and, and crush. So. I'd say Eckler is sort of the the easy answer if you've got him and he stays on the field. He's going to definitely push some teams into the the upper echelon. And then, you know, striking gold with a tight end that gets hot is is obviously a, a big win, especially in a year like this where there's only, you know, two or three that you're pretty happy about putting in your lineup.
1: Yeah, Eckler's good too because you think about all the teams that sort of fell by the wayside when, when he went down and he went on IR and he missed the bulk of the season. If you were able to weather that storm, uh, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're looking pretty good. Even if, you know, I'll use this as an example. The best team I felt like I drafted this year in, in the, in the KFFSC, I got, um, Michael Thomas, Chris Carson, Austin Eckler, uh, DJ Moore, Jameson Crowder, Mike Williams, I got super late. Evan Engram's on that team as well. Like, it was, it was just littered with great value everywhere. And I said, if this team doesn't make the playoffs, well, I don't deserve to be playing fantasy football anywhere. Well, it (laughs) didn't make the playoffs, Rob. Uh, because, you know, and, and that was more because of the Thomas injury, the Eckler injury. Obviously, DJ Moore was kind of a bust this year, given where you had to take him. But, I mean, that team still has a chance to make it in as a wild card and in the championship round of KFFC. We'll see what happens there. But yeah. I, 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 like to think that, and this is a lesson for everybody out there who, who hasn't played high, high stakes before. If you were able to stay afloat, um, I had another league too, where I had McCaffrey and Mostert, um, as my top two running backs, and I stayed afloat right until week 11, and, and then I, I, I missed out on a playoff spot by, by, you know, uh, a few points. But the thing is, if you can stay afloat, if you can manage it as a weekly game up until then, until you get your studs back, all of a sudden you got a great shot. And a lot of teams, a lot of players will just assume like, oh, well, he's on IR. I, I can't do anything now. Oh, this guy is, is a total bust. I can't do anything now. I've seen, and you probably had teams like this too uh, over the years, Robert. You're just like, what shots does this team have? But you baby it, you manage it, you get, you know, good buys off the waiver wire. And all of a sudden, not only could you make the playoffs, but when the championship round starts, you could be in prime position to make a big move.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I, I know, you know, a lot of those teams that you sort of work harder on to, to keep afloat, and then when you get those, you know, easy plug-in super studs, those are the teams that that tend to do the best in the in the big tournament. I've had a number of teams like you mentioned with your team where after the draft I felt guilty, like oh my god, it's just, <laughs> it is. and those teams are always the one that you know you you have your first three round picks you have for you know two weeks out of the year. It's just it's crazy. So I, I I've had enough of a sample size now where it's almost like you know the super teams. I don't put, don't put a lot of weight in those things lasting because good things just don't happen to those. But the ones that you gotta you gotta scrap on, uh, you know those those are gonna those are the winners.
1: Um, let's talk about um, the Dolphins uh, ground game here because I feel like it's been a different guy every single week. Some weeks it's been Jordan Howard. He's now with Philadelphia. He's moved on. Um, then we saw the rise of Miles Gaskin during the season. Then he went on IR, and then we saw Salvin Ahmed come out of nowhere. Um, you have Matt Breida getting healthy. Now, he didn't do much this past week, um, but you know, I, I look at that Dolphins situation and, and the fact that you can get uh, – DeAndre Washington, too, was was a guy who blew up in, in Week 12. The fact that you can get these guys, or maybe you have gotten them cheap already off the waiver wire, um, are, are these guys to look at as a third or a fourth – or, excuse me, a first or second flex in, in the FFPC leagues going forward? Or is there just so much unknown there with with the quarterback situation and, and the identity of the team that you would rather not mess around with it and go a different direction? Yeah, I do. I have
2: actually quite a few shares, even though I'm not in love with the Dolphins' offense as a whole. I got quite a few, both Miles Gaskin and Ahmed uh, shares, you know, sort of lingering on a number of my my rosters. Um, I expect Gaskin, if healthy, he's going to resume his role, you know. None of these guys are truly special, Uh, but he won the job originally against guys that the Dolphins invested a ton of money in. I mean, Howard, I think was at least 5 million. I'm not sure what Breida was, but I think it was at least in the two and a half to 3 million range. So they, they planned on playing those guys and Gaskin showed them something that said, we like you more. So, To me, he's got a significant leg up and Ahmed looked pretty good. You know, he kind of passed the eye test just like I thought Gaskin did. Um, but given that he was the one that originally won it and I think they really like him, that's where I would be betting. I I don't love them, but like you say, as a sort of that filling in that last flex spot, if I don't have a you know, four good receivers or something like that, um, or on teams where you're, you know. Completely hosed at running back. Askin is a, is a, I think going to be a godsend.
1: Um, I feel like over the last, you know, what is it now? We're, we're coming up on, well, we're, we're technically in December by the time people hear this podcast. And over the last, you know, three months or so, one of the guys that, that has gotten short shrift on, on really all my podcasts that I do has been James Robinson. Um, and I, and I think it, it's, it's bizarre that I haven't brought him up much because he is on a team that is going nowhere, a team who um, whose game script is rarely in favor of the ground game, uh, a team that is probably going to fire, that, that have already fired their GM, that is probably going to fire their head coach by season's end, um, and has had nothing but question marks at the quarterback position basically all season. So, Rob, my question to you is, how is James Robinson doing what he's doing, both in the ground game and through the air, um, and, uh, and assuming that the Jaguars don't take a running back on day one or day two of the draft in 2021, assuming they don't sign one of the big name free agents that are going to be out there, uh, is he a locked in? You got to take him in the first round type player. Um, James Robinson, I don't get it. Do you get it? Well, I
2: think in terms of
1: how he's doing it, you know, just like
2: anything, success happens when talent and preparation meets opportunity. And he had, even though he was undrafted or, whatever, you know, there wasn't draft capital there, he's got an exceptional athletic profile. And he's getting as much opportunity as anybody. I mean, he's out there all the time. He's getting it, like you say, a number of carries and a number of targets. So he's got that recipe for success. I don't think he was a fluke. He was a blind spot for me. I didn't like Jacksonville's offense at all. I was glad when people were taking Fournette and, you know, Laughing the whole time, loving that. (laughs) Um, and I, I frank, I probably had a couple of Zigbos or Armstead. I know I had some Armsteads. Um, so I'm, I'm not patting myself on the back too much because I, I whiffed on James Robinson completely, but I acknowledge he's good. He's talent. I now know his, his profile that is really good. Um, so I don't think he's a fluke in terms of where he is next year. I mean, if you looked on paper, you would say, hell yeah, you know, he's a, easily a top four, top five running back. So he should be a solid first rounder. I'll be more hesitant because a lot of the, the reasons that you mentioned, just the uncertainty with new GM, likely new coach, new everything. Um, and the fact that he wasn't a huge draft capital or, you know, yes, he's got a year's worth of tape. So I would think he'd be given every, every chance to be successful, but. For me to take him in the, you know, early half of the first round, I'm hopeful there's somebody that's, that's more stable, you know, in a more stable situation than that, that I'll, I'll be able to, uh, pull the, the lever on. So I'm guessing I probably won't be a huge, um, owner, but, but who knew? You know, you think back to this year and w- one of the guys that was probably the most stable, um, in that, you know, mid first round was, Slant boy, Michael Thomas, and <laughs> right. you know, he's turned out to be complete bust for the most part. So I guess you, you never really know. But uh I would I try to avoid risk usually in the first round or two. I tend to, you know, follow ADP somewhat in terms of making sure I'm not way too heavily invested in a guy unless it's, you know, McCaffrey or somebody that I feel like is a slam dunk. Um, and then I tend to really lean in on other guy, you know, especially once you start hitting rounds five on, you know, that's where you see me getting, you know, 50 plus percent share of, of guys, whether it's best ball or, or managed.
1: You know, it's funny is, is this is one of the reasons I like playing dynasty. Um, and my dynasty leagues really pale in comparison to my redraft, as I think most people are, but, um, you know, you can get Lamar Jackson or a couple of years ago. You get Lamar Jackson in the second or third round of your rookie draft, which is basically nothing. And now all of a sudden you have a top 10, well, you had an MVP uh, on your team for a year. Um, James Robinson, you could basically get him for cheap, um, off the waiver wire or as a fourth round pick. And now all of a sudden you have an asset for next year that you didn't invest a ton of draft capital in. Um, yeah. I tend to shy away from, from players like that as you do, uh, Rob, right. in, 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 in redraft leagues. You bring up Michael Thomas. I think I drafted him in one league this year. I didn't draft Lamar Jackson in any redraft leagues. Um, James Robinson is a guy I probably won't be drafting in any redraft leagues in twenty twenty one because there's usually going to be one, two, maybe a handful of players in your individual league that is willing to pay a twenty twenty-one price for twenty twenty performance. And that's not something I'm 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 usually willing to do. As as I don't think you are too. I mean, you can take advantage of that. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely a recency bias
2: too where, you know, if you had James Robinson all year for cheap and he won you a ton of money you know I've I've got plenty of players like that where (laughs) go with that you're sitting there with you know the sixth pick in the draft and you're like I can bring home my boy like I'm gonna do it so I think a lot of people that had him this year and were smart and benefited from him will gladly scoop him up next year and hopefully I'll be taking you know
1: next year's version um. Okay. So, so getting into the championship rounds. This, you know, in a couple of weeks here, you are no stranger to this. You you have a a highly competitive football guys team that's right near at the top of the leaderboard overall right now to eight thousand or excuse me, ten thousand plus teams. Um. And uh, you're no stranger to the main event as well. As, and I know you're going to play some teams in the championship round there as well. I'm just kind of curious when it gets to be those final three weeks of the season for somebody who has done this before. Um. This very nuanced process. How do you normally like to have your roster construction, knowing that you will not be able to pick up additional players throughout that final three weeks? Are do you keep two kickers on your team? If you find a defense that you like, are you just going with one defense the whole time? How many backups are you keeping at the other position? Sort of, you know. And I and I know this is is a total broad question because every team is different. You're you know, there's different ways to to do it based on what your current team looks like, but. What's, what's sort of the, the rubric that you followed over the years? Yeah. So I guess it's,
2: it's really two different answers. So what I've done over the years, what I did my first, probably seven or eight years uh, in the FFPC when I only had maybe one main event team, I think it was my first five years. I only did one main event team and every year that made, they made it to the big dance. And then I went up to maybe anywhere from three to five main event teams and I had similar success. I had a couple that fell out, but I was making it every year. And I knew what my opponents' lineups looked like. I knew, you know, all the defense matchups, the kicker matchups. I put a ton of time and energy into that one team, and the success, you know, kind of fell from that. And in those cases, I never rostered a second kicker. And rarely rostered a second quarterback. Um, there were times that maybe matchup wise, I would take two defenses just, just to optimize playing against, you know, this year's Jets type team or something like that. Right. Um, but I always wanted to have, you know, probably five players on the end of my bench that were currently nothing muffins, but could bump one of my starters out if the, the right injury happened or the opportunity happened. So I typically went for the high risk handcuff versus, you know, backing up player. Same thing with quarterbacks, you know, give me a starter that I feel confident with and has good matchups. And I'll gladly ride that in order to have plenty of, you know, potential, um, potential gifts that could come from some good handcuffs. This year, I think it's completely different. I mean, we've seen even this week just another warning sign that, you know, you might not even have a defense. Like, never right. the NFL has an entire defense got hurt or not played in weeks 14 to 16. Um, This year you might want to take two defenses just to make sure you have at least one. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I'll probably have, you know, maybe 20 teams dancing between FPC and, and main event in the uh, – in the big championship run, and I'll probably diversify some there. Some I'll probably just go all in saying I'm going to have one quarterback, one kicker, one defense, and, you know, roll the dice that everyone stays healthy and everyone plays. Um, and I'll probably do probably at least half of them where I've got some, some good safety nets at those positions just to make sure I'm
1: not taking zeros. Um, Speaking of zeros, let me tell you a little story about George Kittle uh, because he was a guy that I uh Well, me and, and, and my buddy, Kurt, um, who had, uh, Kurt former, uh, overall main event champion in KFFSC a couple of years ago, he and I have owned the same, uh, auction league team out there. And we've been very successful. I think we've won. Well, we won't win it this year, but we were going for a four peat, which would have been insane. Um, but one of the reasons we won it last year was George Kittle. One of the reasons we won't win it less this year is George Kittle, uh, <laughs> because he got hurt and, and obviously let us down. Um, you look at Jordan Reed on this offense and the targets he's been getting since Kittle's gone down, and and obviously anytime we talk Jordan Reed, you got to talk health. Um, but your expectations for Jordan Reed as a tight end, premium FFPC flex going forward, are you bullish on that, or maybe not so much?
2: Yeah. So first of all, I'm not counting Kittle out. I, you know, he wasn't expecting back yet by by most most forecasts, but I think it was probably Dr. Chow, one of those guys that's pretty well respected, that said. You know, it's probably somewhere in between Kittle's forecast, which was like two weeks. Right. <laughs> forecast, which said six weeks. Um, so, you know, and they're, well, I think a game out of the playoffs right now. So I think if they're still in it, I wouldn't bet against him making appearance here in the next, next few weeks. So I, I wouldn't completely, uh, give up hope there. In terms of Jordan Reed, I have irrational love for Jordan Reed. It's been problem <laughs> for a number of years. Um he's just so much fun to watch when he's on the field and being featured as a receiver. He he's such a cheat code out there when he's healthy. Um and that's the kind of player that I tend to gravitate to. I'd rather have those high risk guys that I know if they're playing and if they can make it through the game, they're going to, you know, get me 20 points versus some of the boring, you know, high volume guys that may get you something close to that but it's just not as fun. Um that said, this year, you know, Reed, he hasn't hit 50% snap count in a single game this year. So my enthusiasm for him specifically is tempered. And if you looked at my teams, he's all over them like like usual. Um, so I, I'm hoping that somehow that changes. But he's had so many opportunities, you know, from when he was healthy early in the year and even just the last couple of weeks with, you know, Ayuk being out and between receivers and running backs and – Kittle, you know, he's had a lot of things in his favor to be like, all right, now you should be the guy. And it just hasn't happened. So he has gotten good. You know, he's gotten, I think six targets on like 30 snaps, which is pretty good. The quarterbacks seem to like him when he's out there, but they're unwilling to, to play him significantly. So, you know, barring a change in that, which, you know, maybe he gets healthier and maybe he gets up to 70% and he turns into Higby. I would love it. I, I'm not, I'm not banking on it um but I will still hold on to him and hopefully not have to play him until I see that because he is a guy in my mind who's a special talent so you know rather than you know some jag like Schultz or Sample or even Burton you know some of those guys that are you know you're hoping they yeah. sneak away I feel like he does have that that league winning type upside so I will until he retires I'll continue to you know, live and die by, by Jordan Reed.
1: And you know, what's funny about that too is, and, and this is, this is a Ron Chandler, not to bring baseball into the equation, but but Ron Chandler from baseball HQ always used to say, you know, once you have demonstrated a skill, you own that skill. Jordan yeah. Reed, uh, you know, when you talk about these other guys that you mentioned like Dalton Schultz, like Drew Sample and all these other guys, they haven't demonstrated it. Jordan yeah. Reed has done it, you know, and he's done it on multiple seasons. You know, it wasn't that long ago where Jordan Reed was like a second round pick in the FFPC or third round pick in the FFPC yeah. because of his position because of what he was able to do on the field because of the mismatch that yep. that that he presented to opposing teams. So he's done it. You could certainly do a lot worse than a guy with his talent uh on the field and it's just an unfortunate situation in in San Francisco right now but hopefully he's trying to make the best of it. I'll tell you another unfortunate situation. Uh, it's in Cincinnati, and and we you know we talked about the Joe Burrow injury last week on on both my podcasts about how it's going to affect um, the Bengals, the rest of the Bengals skill position players. Uh, Rob, let me get your opinion on this. Um, Giovanni Bernard, Tyler Boyd, T Higgins, T Higgins, you know, turned out a decent week twelve w- with the touchdown uh, in that game, um, but Tyler Boyd was bad. Giovanni Bernard was not good. Um, so looking forward with this offense under Brandon Allen, or if they do go back to Ryan Finley, I don't know what, what's, what, what's going to happen there. But these guys, I mean, are you looking for ways to get them on your bench, or do you still think they're worth the risk at this point, given their individual talent?
2: Yeah, I, I do not think it's worth the risk. You know, it obviously depends on your options. But losing Burrow, to me, just completely sinks that ship. Uh, I own Boyd everywhere. You know, he was one of those guys that I was auto selecting, you know, at the six, seven turn or wherever it was, um, in both, both formats. And he had been a plug and play for me, but at this point, I hope to rest him for next year. Um, Geo, you know, is probably a decent desperation play if you're hosed at running back. A lot of my teams, you know, that, that second running back position, especially in the managed teams, that second running back position is like my last spot to fill. I usually like to have, you know, studly receivers, stud tight ends, either receivers or tight end in those flexes that I, you know, you feel like you have to play every week. Um, and it's usually that second running back position that I'm hoping to strike gold with, you know, James Robinson type. Um, so if you're if you didn't find James Robinson, you might have to throw a Geo in there and, and hope that he catches a few balls and somehow falls into the end zone. Um, but definitely not with confidence. And and Higgins, I, he was kind of a whiff for me. I There were a number of you know rookie receivers that I liked. I just didn't like his situation because I didn't know that AJ Green was dead. Um, like I said, I I loved Boyd. Um, Auden Tate looked pretty good last year. I thought Ross was good. So I, I thought this was going to be a redshirt year for Higgins. Um, but I was able to pick him up in some spots once I saw that he was, he was the real deal. And, you know, next year, I think he'll be one of many second year receivers and it's going to be really interesting to see where they, where they land because they're, it's a pretty, pretty talented crop that should have some, some good quarterbacks thrown to him as well.
1: Yeah, I didn't even think about that till you brought it up because everybody's talking about how good the rookie receivers have been this year. What's that going to do with with the draft hype next year? With guys like Higgins and Judy and Michael Pittman is another example. You have Rager and Justin Jefferson. Oh my god, I can't even imagine Justin yeah. Jefferson next year. It's it's going to be absolutely insane how far up these guys are are, are going to be going in the draft. That is that is going to be a topic for another uh, conversation. Which Rob, I have a good feeling. You and I will have that conversation perhaps on this podcast next year during draft season because it's always so much fun catching up with you, talking a little shop, especially when we get to this uh, late point in the season. We're already in December. Uh, Good luck in both the Football Guys Players Championship, in the FFPC Main Event, in all your leagues. Thank you so much for bringing your insight to both me and the listeners uh, this week. A Happy belated Thanksgiving and a, a happy holiday season to you, man. You too, Bulky. Always a blast. Anytime. Thank you for listening to the High Stakes Lowdown, a RotoViz podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Football Players Championship. And thanks to Grapes for our theme music. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the RotoViz Radio feed. It helps us find new listeners. Contact us via email rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think. And follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the show by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast.